Good morning, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Geopolitical Pivot. It is your host, Samaj McDowell, and I'd like to welcome you all back. Uh, first and foremost, before I begin with this special, uh, much more intricate and in-detailed episode, I just wanted to say thank you to those that tune in and um, download and really help expand the Geopolitical Pivot. Uh, earlier in the week, we had uh, we made it to twenty two hundred downloads from around the world. So I'm truly, truly, truly thankful and appreciative for for that. Uh, and now we've made it to two thousand two hundred and twelve downloads from around the world. So you know I'm very appreciative and thankful that there are people who are very serious about the the necessary conversations to be had regarding a new understanding of geopolitics, uh, geoeconomics, geostrategy, and what that means for American national security, or even global security, really, for that matter. I think it's imperative that we, as not just um, informed individuals, but also average citizens and average people who don't really understand the intricate details of national security, but they can comprehend collectively as a conscious group um, the the importance of understanding what it means to be secure, um, to be informed, and to have accurate information on growing and developing trends. So again, I just want to say that uh, thank you for tuning in. And with that, I wanted to do a really special episode today, and that is on the, in my opinion, that we're kind of getting in my own personal, I guess, policy advocacy, that I like to call the American Act of Defense and the the necessity of a budgetary reconfiguration analysis in order to establish a modern uh, Chinese containment strategy in Indo-PACOM. Um, and Indo-PACOM is kind of the, the long military acronym for the Indo-Pacific Command uh, for the U.S. military. Um, in order to combat China, or at least the People's Republic of China, uh, the United States has to pursue an Indo-Pacific uh, multilateral active defense mechanism so that we'll be able to not only defend um, freedom of navigation but also the American-based strategic partnerships as well as to really put a check on growing um, PRC regional posturing and ever-expanding anti-access uh, area denial which is known as A2AD which you'll hear me say multiple times in this particular episode uh, their capabilities uh, the the political and economic rise of the People's Republic of China and the Indo-Pacific, as well as even Africa, uh, produces a clear and present security danger to the interests and the strategic partnerships of the United States. Not even just the United States, but also the West in general. Uh, for 20 years out of the previous 43, the strategic and tactical advantages possess, uh, possessed, excuse me, by the United States and the Indo-Pacific has started to really shrink 
um, in part due to technological advances and military development projects by uh, the Chinese that directly challenges and undermines American regional partnerships intentionally. And usually they're done through bilateral relationships between uh, China and, let's say, India, China and Japan, China and Korea, China and the Philippines, uh, China with Indochina, um, etc., with the hopes of promising much more um, prosperous alternative sources of economic and financial um, capital markets in exchange for essentially diminishing relations with the United States, but more in particular to diminish relations and recognition from Taiwan. Uh, the ultimate goal for the Chinese is the removal of the United States from the first and second island chains the extensive A2AD, like I said, anti-access area denial apparatuses, uh, and constructing a global political bipolar order with an economic multipolar component most beneficial to Beijing's effort of rewinding their uh, their century of humiliation. The century of humiliation goes back to the, ideally, the 18... 40s to the 1940s leading up to the to the 1949 declaration for the uh, people's republic of china's uh, forming so you have the opium wars the first and the second opium wars you also have the the portuguese the italian the british their kind of colonial possessions as well as the russians uh, the Japanese being involved and the Americans are being involved um, to a certain degree. So for the Chinese leadership, in order for China to get to where historically it has been, at least in antiquity, I mean, if you go back to the 1600s, China and India were the two largest uh, economies in the world. Back when India was under the Mughal Empire, um, China and India had the largest um, economies even far greater than that of Western Europe. So essentially what this episode was trying to achieve is to assess the Chinese strategic military posturing positions in the South China Sea and grow an economic footprint in Central, uh, Central Asia um, in Africa while providing a foundation uh, to a robust uh, national security containment strategy towards Chinese ambitions in the region. The clear return of a great power competition requires the United States, as well as our strategic uh, partners, to reevaluate the posturing of Indo-PACOM, as well as adjusting our force readiness and promoting a selective uh, force modernization program, which will include force structure trade, trades um, and providing the United States with a sustained and efficient posturing against the PRC, the People's Republic of China, and the Indo-PACOM theater. Uh, clear increased military aggressions, especially during um, the, the COVID-19 pandemic, um, prompts the United States and our strategic allies, both in the Atlantic and the Pacific, to have very serious reassessments and realignments of uh, security guarantees and partnerships so that a truly multilateral a modern defense force and strategic Indo-PACOM theater apparatus that is successful in containing 
Chinese encroachments is produced. Uh, the number one thing that we have to make sure is that lucrative global trade routes and supply chains are not just monitored, but they're able to remain free. They have to be secured by the United States and the Western-based global international level order uh, that was produced from the Bretton Woods Conference back in 1944. So in order to really kind of unpack that, we will have to talk about this and multiple components so that we can try to find our way, a find a, a good path, essentially, to a more informative awareness of the, of what's going on in the Indo-PACOM theater. Um, and that includes the positions of both China and the United States. Um, and that way we'll be able to have a skeletal strategy to kind of contain and constrict um, the PRC in the same way that the USSR was contained and constricted. But it has to be done through modern practices, modern minds, modern strategic thinking, logic and reason within the implementation of policy. What I hope to essentially achieve is to provide suggestions that could uh, be utilized for an effective strategy and a recommendation to national security budgeting that can address this great power competition in the modern world. And that's what it comes down to, being able to adjust the bureaucratic status quo and the culture within this bureaucracy so that the United States is able to better manage and understand and assess both threats and risks as they emerge or if they have already emerged. We, we have to make sure that we are able to get to a point that we're that we can allocate necessary resources at a given time before said threats are able to directly target major American strategic assets and infrastructure. Uh, to, and that goes into effectively thwart Chinese influence um, and increasing military presence in the Indo-PACOM uh, strategic choke points. And that includes the the, the shores of Eastern Africa, the United States has to prioritize force structure trade-offs in favor of the Navy, the Air Force, and Space Force to secure and stabilize our positions in the Indo-PACOM theater. Um, DOD, who's the Department of Defense, I will recommend has to consider and implement a modern approach toward conventional ground forces by transforming the Army and the Marine Corps toward a... Uh, an expeditionary capacity for quick deployments and reinforcement posturing to assist our Navy and our Air Force operations. The same thing can be applied to the, uh, the Eurocom, the European Command um, posturing as well when it comes to Russia's approach to, um, you know, revolutionary praxis and restricted warfare as well. Um, diplomatically speaking, the U.S. Department of State will be able to curtail global Chinese ambitions via multilateral economic, uh, energy, and security programs and initiatives in Africa and Central Asia, which should include Afghanistan, but that's a mess in itself <laughs> to stifle Chinese monopolizing of natural resources and strategic infrastructure. Uh, for structure and readiness in Indo-PACOM, CENTCOM, which is the Middle East, and AFRICOM, which is Africa, um, would actually need to be required um, to implement new geo or geographic strategic implications um, that are observable regarding the aggression, the intention, 
the grand strategy of the People's Republic of China to fully isolate the Asia-Pacific and the uh, Indo-Pacific uh, regions from the United States to gradually replace America as the global hegemonic power by the 100th um, anniversary of the formation of the People's Republic of China in 2049 and 2050. That's the goal. Goal is to implement something called Tiantia, T-I-A-N-X-I-A, the the global essentially it's their version of the global order. All the all under heaven approach to the um, global cosmopolitanism and technological utopianism under the guidance of what's considered as the son of heaven, which I mean would be the whomever's the leader of China at that given point. Um, but that's that's a discussion for a different time. So first and foremost, we have to, in order to establish a comprehensive multilateral Indo-PACOM strategy to address the growing situation in um, the Indo-Pacific and Asia-Pacific region regarding China, we have to really understand the Chinese military posture. We have to be able to assess it. So the the core of China's grand strategy and their purpose is simply connected to achieving a full unification of Taiwan, the acquisition of the Senkaku Islands, and the recognition of the South China Sea as part of the Nine Dash Line, which the which Beijing sees as part of the maritime territory of China. And so, by doing this, China manipulates the strategic environment that's much more conducive to Beijing through stratagems, overall grand strategies, deceptions, um, various ruses, intimidation, etc. Um, the goal of the Chinese government in this capacity is to achieve military parity, not even just military parity with the United States, but is to overcome the technological advancement advantage that the United States has with the Chinese in order to, per, in order to establish the transformation of the PLA, the People's Liberation Army, into a world-class defense force by by um, 2049, 2050. Um, if, if the Chinese is able to possess a military force that's in parity with the United States, then that provides a conventional deterrent against the United States, as well as forcing global, uh, regional, at least regional compliance, the Asia-Pacific uh, region, uh, to become com more compliant to the interests of Beijing. As it currently stands, and this was um, legitimized uh, a month or two ago uh, by a DOD uh, released reporting regarding China's um, force posturing that they release every year. China possesses the largest naval force in the world. Now, what I mean by that, it's not by tonnage. If we're talking about who has the largest military who has the largest navy in the world by tonnage? That's still the United States, but as far as the sheer ship side, uh, ship count, uh, that will be China with approximately around 350 ships. That includes 130 surface, at least 130 surface combat ships, in comparison to the uh, United States 293 naval ships. Uh, most of China's ships pertain to. Uh, brown water navy operations so we're looking at missile boats uh, smaller uh, coastal patrol boats um, frigates stuff like that 
that uh, are primarily going to be utilized within the first island chain and to protect the mainland to oversaturate the regions with extensive missiles, um, air superiority, um, anything to expand the A2AD apparatus. Uh, without obligations to international disarmament and ballistic missile proliferation treaties, the PLA um, looks to expand their nuclear capabilities, um, but currently they operate an arsenal of about 1,250 ground-launched ballistic missiles, or GLBMs, um, as well as ground-launched cruise missiles, or GLCMs, with an operational range of about 3,100 miles, or 5,000 kilometers. They also wish to construct an A2AD, which I said is anti-access area denial network that's capable of isolating Taiwan from the United States, while also threatening American personnel capabilities in Guam, um, hindering American reinforcement capacity in South China Sea, and applying stress to American-based security obligations with Japan and South Korea. Um, so it's a really, it's a very intricate, um, but also long-term operation here to carve out and push out the United States from the first and second island chains. Uh, all of this is honestly is being done under the, the threshold of open conflict on the spectrum of violence with the United States. By waging an asymmetrical operation against the United States, China avoids direct conflict essentially while solidifying its military posturing and positions in the Indo-Pacific, Central Asia, Africa, and the Middle East with the intended goal, as I stated, to uproot the United States, as well as to impair our capabilities to defend our allies and strategic partners. And some examples of this is, for example, the PLA to the People's Liberation Army Strategic Support Force, as well as the People's Liberation, the People's Republic of China's Space Enterprise Subdivision, uh, China conducts extensive asymmetrical operations against the United States psychologically, cyber, electronically, and with the intentions to utilize that to expand their asymmetric operations to space warfare. So through the Baidu uh, navigation uh, system, um, they'll be able to essentially, if need be, to realign their satellites to either blind American-based GPS systems. Um, they can through utilizing satellite panels, they'll be able to redirect sunlight to fry certain components of U.S. GPS satellites that can then uh, interrupt telecommunications and uh, destroy uh, cruise missile capabilities for extreme precise targeting. Uh, Chinese logistical networks have been gradually enhanced across the Indo-PACOM, the Indo-Pacific region, as China expands bilateral agreements that allows the construction of dual-use strategic ports that bolster Chinese naval capabilities outside the first island chain, um, as well as to circumvent to get around America's strategic influence in the Malacca Strait, where not only is that a strait where all of Japan's res uh, energy resources from the Middle East comes from, but it's also a strait in which China depends extensively on for its oil and gas imports from the Middle East as well as exporting various other raw minerals and raw materials. The the backbone of the Chinese military doctrine is a concept that was known as active defense, 
which refers to the uh, the development of defensive measures that incorporate offensive capabilities strategically and tactically, as well as on an operational level. So you uh, uh, creating a defensive, as a SAM, surface to air missile systems or anti ship missiles, uh, anti ship missile uh, systems, but they also have a offensive component uh, to them. And this was confirmed in uh, 2019 when China had released a defense white paper, which kind of confirms the active defense as a component of their military posture in the Indo Pacific region so that they can produce preemptive, preemptive uh, strike capabilities while also avoiding the initiation of direct conflict with the United States. Just from the white paper alone, it shows that it is their intent to morph the strategic and operational environment of the Indo-Pacific to force the United States into a position of the aggressor to validate and also vindicate China's aggression so that they can continue to grow their militarization. Um, to achieve their strategic goals. Um, in order to really guarantee their own defense parity and independence from the American global security system, that includes space, uh, China continues to prioritize the development in their space-based uh, space programs, which includes an increase in funding and expansion of the ISR, which is Intelligence, Surveillance, and Reconnaissance Modernization, um, efforts and as I, as I you know brought up their Baidel um, navigation satellites, their NAVSATs. Um, by having a fully functional GPS system that is independent of the United States, China removes any type of operational advantage the United States currently possesses in GEOINT, which is geographic intelligence, and SIGINT, which is signals intelligence, in addition to civil military telecommunication applications. By doing this, it further diminishes the American military primacy in critical industries and geopolitical chokeholds in the Indo-PACOM region. That's, this is a, a pure detriment to U.S. security interests uh, and regional allies as China increases their precision-guided missiles, ICBMs, which are intercontinental ballistic missile capabilities, anti-satellite missiles, um, unmanned aerial vehicles, or UAVs, as well as their own reconnaissance and surveillance programs. The main security vulnerability and risk that the United States forces um, kind of face prompts a serious reevaluation of U.S. force readiness adjustments, as well as force posturing with regional allies and partners, and a selective force modernization. Um, all of that comes from the growing um, A2AD apparatus that China is building the the system this particular a2ad system incorporates long-range precision systems such as ballistic missiles equipped with hypersonic glide vehicles which we saw um, scramjet hypersonic anti-ship uh, cruise missiles and low-flying cruise missiles to essentially remain below radar um, until the last minute that forces the the closure of the kill chain against an opponent before being able to detect and deter um, as well as to destroy incoming cruise missiles and examples of these that china currently has in the arsenal that includes the df-11 df-15 df-26 as well as the df-21d ballistic missiles in addition to the yj-83 anti-ship missile and the hq-9 
which is the Chinese variation of the S-300 serving the air missile defense systems. Uh, by understanding their strategic, their operational, and their tactical barriers that's being implemented in the South and East China Seas, as well as the gradual increasing risk of conflict in the Pacific Ocean as space and time closes between China and the United States, the United States can reorient its forces to reverse, contain, and constrict these Chinese incursions in Indo-PACOM. Um, and this is something that Obama tried to, to do with the pivot to the East and pivot to Asia um, strategy. Uh, this orientation manifests in a positive force structure toward uh, trade toward strengthening the capabilities as well as the operational capabilities of the Navy, the Air Force, and the Space Force, which should and will include long-range standoff weapons, enhanced ISR, which is, as I stated earlier, intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance, our capabilities and modernized space-based and cyber warfare platforms. Um, if said, I guess, Cold War eventual hot war conflict ensues, its prominent domains of combat between the United States and China will be air, will be naval, will be space, cyber, economic, finance, cultural, social, etc. Therefore, the U.S. defense readiness and posture adjustments has to align with the ongoing military technology revolution and changes in conflict engagement within the modern great power competition. This same exact framework can be duplicated against Russia and Europe. It's not just a Chinese containment strategy, but this is an overall revolutionizing way of relooking at the concept of war and making sure that the United States is surely prepared to ensure that we remain capable and ready. Not just the United States unilaterally, but the United States in the West globally and uh, on a multilateral basis. And so by looking at it, um, this is for the FY 2021, um, so fiscal year 2021 defense budget investments. Uh, the number one thing that I would recommend is to prioritize um, C4 IS uh, TR systems. So C the C4 has to do with command control communications, uh, computers and intelligence. Um, so what I personally believe is that that needs to be allotted allotted towards investments. Uh, the the Department of Defense had requested two hundred and forty three point five billion dollars towards uh, procurement. Um, as well as a hundred and so that was a, about a hundred and thirty nine point six billion went toward procurement and a hundred and six point six billion went towards research and development essentially uh, to contain and combat growing Chinese aggression uh, the U.S. defense budget has to reflect the realities of the situation that's forming the Indo-PACOM region the FY 2021 defense budget it's broken down to nine separate categories uh, with mission support activities receiving the bulk of the investments, which is then followed by aircraft and related systems, shipbuilding and maritime systems, um, etc. Uh, which is great. I mean, don't get me wrong, it's, it's significant for ensuring the success within operations and are supporting American troops during missions as well as, but the confrontation with China would not resemble engagements with non-state actors. Um, therefore, I will recommend that with modern great power competition, we have to expand our C4I systems, which I state is command, control, communications, computers, intelligence, 
to ensure that our commanders acquire vital battlefield information succinctly as soon as possible and further construct control over the battlefield. Um, in FY 2021, C4I systems are provided about 5% of the particular budget, so about $11.9 billion in investments, which is insufficient to maintain a wide gap in military parity between China and the United States. Um, by further advancing the C4I capabilities, this allows for the United States to produce secure communications uh, between personnel and commanders while making decision-making more fluid, informative, and effective in a way that it will keep policymakers, analysts, and executives uh, informed at a much quicker play, uh, pace. Uh, by modernizing approaches of data distribution and technological advances to acquire, filter, analyze, and disseminate information and intelligence from the battlefield and surrounding environments, the United States leverages itself into a posture advantage in the Indo-PACOM region as decisions are able to be made in almost real-time capacity. Um, increasing investments into C4I systems will provide the United States with a modern avenue of approach to reposition naval, air, missile defense, and ground forces as the Indo-PACOM security environment shifts while China further asserts its newly acquired military capabilities in its near seas region, which is the first um, island chain. Uh, possessing modern aircraft systems and mission support activities are rendered useless and at a grave strategic and tactical disadvantage if the modern means of transmitting command and control are not advanced on par with emerging technology systems. To, confect, to effectively combat uh, encroaching Chinese posturing, the defense budget ought to increase investments and in prioritizing of developments and new programs pertaining to expanding American C4I networks and space as well as ground-based ISR um, programs, so intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance programs, to further entrench and solidify joint branch operations and concentrated efforts in the Indo-PACOM region to outmaneuver and outproduce the Chinese. Thus, following prioritizing C4I investments, science and technology should receive an increased investment from the current percentages that it's acquiring, and space-based uh, systems must also increase its share of investments. Miss, I would say even missile, um, missile defeat and defense programs should also increase their investments from their current uh, percentages. All of this is important. It's and another thing I want to talk about that I think it's imperative that the entirety of the armed forces have a joint C four, um, a C four I, S R, um, network. It's highly important that Space Force, the Air Force, the Marine Corps, the Navy, and the Army have an integrated joint C four I S R network, highly secure network that'll allow for quicker dissemination of large gatherings of intelligence so that the entirety of the battlefield or even the battle space in particular could be mapped out and be utilized across all fields so that there is a succinct and comprehensive as well as, a, as a, uh, an efficient means of gathering intelligence, disseminating intelligence, and turning intelligence into successful strategies to obtain a strategic advantage. 
So the first part of that will come with the Naval Marines operation modernization, essentially. Now, the first major pillar of a containment strategy in Indo-PACOM theater is prioritization of naval capabilities and the operational uh, capacity of the U.S. Indo-PACOM. Despite having the world's largest naval force by tonnage, the PLA, um, NATE PLAN, the plan, or the People's Liberation Army Navy, is not blue water capable at the current moment, but is the second largest behind the United States in tonnage. Uh, from observation, the goal of the plan People's Liberation Army Navy is to ensure full strategic domination of South and East China Seas and to remove the United States from the first and second chains. Um, at the current trends, China's projected, and this is from the ONI, uh, the Office of Naval Intelligence, is projected to possess a naval force of 425 naval ships and submarines by 2030. By 2030, China wants to have a naval force of 425 naval ships. The 425 naval ships would encompass approximately 76 submarines, which they're gradually replacing the diesel submarines with diesel, electric, and nuclear powered. 65 large surface combat ships that include aircraft carriers, cruisers, and destroyers, and 200 major surface combat ships. So, again, that'll be including the Aircraft carriers, the cruisers, the destroyers, the frigates, the corvettes, etc. In addition to the surface combat ships and production of missile patrol boats as part of the A2AD active defense protocols, the plan increasingly produces ocean-going auxiliary ships to enhance Chinese military logistical and supply chains, primarily in the South China Sea, where they have those um, those uh, those artificial islands. Where they're kind of transforming them into air bases, um, naval bases, logistical, radar, sonar, um, and active defense kind of hubs. Uh, the auxiliary ships, they include combat support ships, oil tankers, ocean survey ships, hospital ships, intelligence and surveillance ships, and rescue ships. Uh, uh, compounded with anti-ship ballistic missiles, ASBMs, anti-ship cruise missiles, ASCMs, unmanned aerial vehicles, UAVs, and command and control communications, computers, intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance. That's your C4ISR platforms. The PLA is constructing an intricate strategic and tactical web within its near seas region to deter the United States in the event of seeking unification of Taiwan and solidifying China's position in the South China Sea. Uh, for the United States, I know things are currently shifting. Um, there are approximately 375,000 U.S. personnel assigned to Indo-PACOM AOR, the air responsibility, which includes 200 ships, so five aircraft carrier strike groups, 1,100 aircraft, and approximately 130,000 sailors and civilians. Uh, the Marine Corps has two Marine Expeditionary Forces, which is about 86,000 personnel, and 640 aircraft assigned to the Indo-PACOM region. The modernization of the U.S. Navy encompasses primarily a two-pronged process, which is the continuation of the expansion of the U.S. Navy to hopefully 355 ships per the 2016 Naval Force Structure Assessment, including unmanned surface vehicles, USVs, and unmanned underwater vehicles, UVs, and the establishment of the Indo-PACOM Theater Active Defense Measure. This is what I recommend. For... FY 2021, the Navy requested about almost 20 billion towards shipbuilding, which is 3.9 billion less than required.
requested in FY 2020 and 17% less than what Congress provided towards shipbuilding efforts. I'm sad. <laughs> this is this is clearly the wrong direction to pursue if America is to ensure adequate containment of China and Indo-Pacom theater. In combination with the approved 2021 National Defense Authorization Act for fiscal year uh, 2021, which allotted uh, about 2.2 uh, 2.234 million. Um, I'm sorry, my mistake. Can't read. <laughs> 2.2 trillion essentially toward fulfilling the Pacific Deterrence Initiative. The Navy budget should increase 2.4 percent directed toward shipbuilding and procurement initiatives if we are going to have a comprehensive restructuring of the naval um, architecture. So essentially 2.234 trillion towards the Pacific uh, Deterrence Initiative. Instead of focusing on larger combat ships, so large deck aircraft carriers, cruisers, destroyers, amphibious ships, and large-scale large supply ships, the United States Navy needs higher priority towards the production of smaller, efficient, and more agile multi-purpose combat ships, frigates, which are frigates, corvettes, small, uh, smaller amphibious ships, um, and DOPACOM designated missile patrol boats and smaller aircraft carriers, which is actually smaller aircraft carriers. Um, actually, that idea goes back uh, to I want to say the the late 1940s, early 1950s, actually, um, which the intended goal for them were to essentially patrol uh, mar open navigation, maritime like uh, trade routes, uh, but also to reinforce. Um, aircraft carrier strike groups that goes back to the the late 1940s it's not a new idea um oh wait previously i had misspoke it's not 2.2 trillion it's 2.2 billion i'm sorry uh for the pacific deterrence um initiative that 2.2 billion dollar fund for the pdi should be routed towards indo-paycom based restructuring and logistical modernization in addition to research and development towards long-range precision strike systems c4istr anti-uav anti-ballistic anti-cruise and anti-hypersonic defense systems which includes american cyber and space-based satellite capabilities um transforming l-class amphibious assault ships or producing ships equivalent to the l-class towards small aircraft carrier operations will provide the united states with additional air superiority capacity and maritime countermeasures against uh, the plan and the chinese a2ad apparatus um, l-class ships fitted with f-35b aircrafts will allow the navy and marine corps more flexibility and strategic game engagement to obtain ownership of the battlefield kill chain on ground, air, and sea once they are deployed. Uh, smaller aircraft carriers can operate as enhanced uh, force projection vessels for large deck aircraft supercarrier strike groups, and they can add towards marine expeditionary force mobilization and deployments. To achieve a 355 ship fleet over the next decade, the Navy requires an annual increase of $13 billion, which will come to $130 billion by 2030 to ensure procurement costs. So that includes shipbuilding, crew, armaments, operation, logistics, as well as maintenance. Uh, restructuring the naval architecture includes further reductions in Marine Corps active duty to focus further on operational readiness and situational awareness across Indo-PACOM. 
In FY 2021, the Marine Corps signaled a reduction of 2,100 personnel while observing an increase of 302 in civilian uh, personnel capacity. And additional reconstruction measures uh, for the Marine Corps is to further reduce the Marine Corps force by another 3,000. So we're going from 184,100 to 181,100 to formulate a more efficient, flexible, and specialized force. The 1.62% reduction in active defense size provides new avenues of approach for the United States in Indo-PACOM for force readiness and the development of an active defense mechanism. The personnel that are removed from active duty can be reoriented toward region-wide tasks and threat assessments to enhance Indo-PACOM ISR capacity, logistical support, readiness preparation, and providing assistance to American regional allies and partners to construct an active multilateral effort to strengthen security cohesion against Chinese regional and global military interests. The average soldier's Costs approximately eighteen thousand dollars. Therefore, the additional reduction of three thousand, uh, which will be fifty one hundred in total, will provide about ninety one million um, eight hundred thousand dollars to be redirected toward procurement costs and or R and D of light amphibious assault ships, uh, missile patrol boats, ISR systems, and or regional based defense systems. A new flexible naval and marine corps architecture posturing should focus on operations in the South and East China Sea with enhanced diplomatic and security cooperation with regional allies and partners such as Japan, South Korea, Australia, India, New Zealand, and the Philippines while offering security and economic rapprochement to the Southeast Asia region and India to counter lingering Chinese influence and maritime presence in the Indian Ocean. Um, just as the Navy and the Marine Corps will need to undergo significant change in its architecture uh, to maintain primacy in the Indo-Pacific, so too will the Air Force and newly established uh, Space Force have to reassess its posture and strategic positioning within the Indo-Pacific. Uh, currently, the U.S. Air Force operates approximately 46,000 personnel and more than 420 aircraft um, in the Indo-Pacific region. In the FY 2021 budget, the Air Force requested $169 billion, which is a decrease from FY 2020, but that's simply because of the, the Space Force was formed. Uh, with the Space Force gradually becoming responsible for all base operations and responsibilities largely uh, done by the Air Force, uh, $153.6 billion will be provided as the official budget of the USAF, while $15.4 billion will be directed to the Space Force. Uh, the Air Force budget demonstrates a growth actually of 1,500 personnel and a $700 million increase to the Air Force Operation and Maintenance Department. Uh, to maintain American primacy and technological prowess in space-based systems and air uh, superiority, I am emphasizing a modernization once again, on digital connectivity through the Joint All-Domain Command and Control, the JADC2 uh, networks, as a cornerstone of this effort. The JADC2 needs to replace the current uh, C2 structure, which is the command and control, with a comprehensive tactical network that encompasses all branches rather than isolated military networks that prohibit connectivity that is crucial for a modern defense force. 
at the current C2 structure, it's inadequate uh, to meet the new demands of the national defense strategy. And that's clear and, it's, and essential that the JDC2 will provide the United States with clear primacy if developed, invested, and implemented properly, highlighting the significance of a robust space and air force capable of strategic and tactical superiority that will be uninterrupted by Chinese cyber warfare capabilities. We're going to produce a modern American active defense mechanism for the Indo-Pacific that's going to rely on an overarching digital link telecommunication and intelligence network to better position American aircraft within the boundaries of China's A2AD near sea region. By better positioning um, you know, in the United States, this would include elevating the Space Force role in forming new resilient space infrastructure that possess cyber offensive and defensive capabilities while continuing cooperation with the Air Force as the uh, the Space Force um, budget essentially still remains with the Air Force uh, appropriations. Uh, Mil their Milpers budget still remains with uh, the Air Force's uh, their Milpers appropriation budget. Uh, containing the, the People's Liberation Army Air Force uh, requires not just data link programs for integrated con uh, command control across military branches, but also an increased role in UAVs, unmanned aerial vehicles, and the process of officially retiring legacy systems to free money towards investments into financing programs geared towards greater connectivity of forces, space-based programs, and strengthening current logistic networks to bolster positions across the Indo-Pacific. Some people may not like what, I, what I'm about to say, but by retiring the B-1B Lancer, the B-2 Spirit, the A-10 Thunderbolt II, the KC-10 Extender, the RC-135 VW Rivet Joint, the E-3 Century AWOC, um, the U-2 Dragon Lady, and the E-83 J-Stars over the course of the next decade, USAF will require approximately $30 billion to be designated to uh, modern initiatives. I mean, even in 2019, Chief of General Staff uh, David Goldfein outlined four major regions for investing that that $30 billion alone. It will be $9 billion towards connecting the joint force, $9 billion towards offensive and defense-based capabilities, $9 billion towards general uh, combat power, and $3 billion towards securing logistics under attack. By retiring legacy programs, we're able to further increase the Air Force's capacity to utilize UAS, the unmanned aircraft systems with the UAVs such as the MQ-9 Reaper, the MQ-4C Triton, the RQ-4 Global Hawk UAS, and MQ-1B Predator, MQ-1C Great Eagle UAS, which would allow us to penetrate the Chinese A2AD network for ISR, Intelligence, Surveillance, and Reconnaissance, by, by doing target acquisition and target striking capabilities from a standoff position to occupy and kill and close the kill chains on the battlefield. Again, this isn't just for Indo-PACOM. This also could be utilized for Eurocom um, to contain and address the growing uh, asymmetrical approaches of Russia. Uh, the Air Force posture in the Asia-Pacific can be further strengthened with the continuation of programs such as the MQ-25 Stingray Unmanned Carrier Aviation Program, that further provides USAF ISR operations and aerial refueling to support crucial battlefield operations on ground, sea, and air. Uh, reinforcing America's position uh, in the first island chain can be achieved through the acquisition 
and primary implementation and usage of the planned long-range standoff weapon system USAF in the second island chain. A program that will cost $10 billion to produce about 1,000 missiles with $10 million per missile, uh, which was requested. Uh, through coordinated multilateral efforts with regional partners within both island chains and increasing national security intelligence capabilities with the Pacific, the United States will be able to leverage itself and maintain control over the geographic environment. The main areas of um, tension and contestation between the United States and China will be air, space, maritime, and cyber. Indo-PACOM is to become the centerpiece of focus. In the same way the Eurocom was towards Soviet containment in Europe and CENTCOM against Saddam and the war on terror. In the Indo-Pacific theater, the U.S. Army stations about 106,000 personnel over 300 aircraft and 1,200 uh, spec op personnel. As the significance of the containment strategy and reposturing of the United States in the Indo-PACOM reliance on naval aerial and spatial and space capabilities, the role of the Army is reduced to a reinforcement and expeditionary capacity. It should be, actually. Emphasis on the U.S. Army posture includes prioritization of the amphibious combat vehicle, rearranging of deployment positions across the Indo-PACOM region with increased prioritization of protecting and entrenching within the first island chain and supporting, uh, being supported by logistical networks from the second island chain and our global partners and regional strategic partners. With the amphibious combat vehicle utilized in combination with the Navy's light amphibious warship program, the Army has to configure to a logistical and mission support role in the advent of open conflict with the Chinese in the, uh, their near seas region. Um, in the, the Army's FY 2021 budget, 37% of the budget goes to... Um, Operation maintenance, well, at least 37% of the operation and maintenance um, is designated towards land force readiness uh, support, while 16% is towards actual land force readiness. 17% of the, the operations and maintenance for the Army is shared between... 17% of the OMA appropriation budget is designated to the actual land forces, while 1% is towards army mobilization. The remaining 29% is shared between administration and service-wide activities and training and recruitment. This is pretty much satisfactory, however, with changing developments within a CENTCOM region, prompting more asymmetric operations to contain Iran and a transition of insurgent terrorism from the Middle East to Africa. The Army and Indo-PACOM would not have major priority in the containment of China, as direct war with China is minuscule at the current moment. Uh, the necessity for the occupation of mainland Chinese territory is non-existent, and it should never exist. The goal should not be the direct invasion of China. It should be to reduce and contain their, their militarization across the Indo-PACOM region. The... The Army is necessary in a power projection, nonetheless, and force multiplier role for American and regional allied ground forces. This includes reevaluating and strengthening security commitments with Taiwan, Japan, Philippines, Australia, New Zealand, and Southeast Asia to solidify an American security bastion and strategic points across South and East China Seas, as well as into the Sea of Japan. Uh, Army posturing potentially includes investing and developing. Uh, mobile ground-based land-range standoff weapons, 
uh, weapon systems to be included within the first and second island chain and newer missile defense systems that allows for the United States to undermine the A2AD network that China is producing. This includes possible deployments of the MGM-140 um, attackums, uh, which has an effective firing range of 300 kilometers, and ventures into longer-range missile systems within the legal framework of ballistic missile proliferation and ballistic missile range restriction treaties. The goal is to reverse the security dilemma China has produced for the United States within the Indo-PACOM region um, well into the Chinese uh, via comprehensive um, active defense mechanism that is multilateral in its operation to ensure full cooperation of American allied partners in the region. The unilateral approach will only strengthen the Chinese position in the Indo-PACOM region as Beijing seeks to undermine American security agreements through bilateral negotiations and economic partnerships that further bolster Chinese military development initiatives. We've declared full withdrawal um, from Afghanistan. The remaining uh, 3,500 troops can be redirected in an expeditionary fast deployment capacity to Indo-PACOM as forced enhancement across the Indo-PACOM region to reinforce our current strategic positions. Overall, really, um, to effectively contain China and the return of great power competition in the modern world, it's essential for the United States to prioritize an enlarged Navy with higher emphasis on smaller combat-capable ships to serve as uh, force multipliers and power projection across the Indo-Pacific region. As large combat ships will remain the backbone to America's naval primacy, the effective way to posture against the PL PLAN is to produce naval ships with long-range standoff capabilities, quick mobilization, and an integrated command and control network among all U.S. branches. With the evaluation of the Navy, the Air Force, and Space Force, the Marine Corps and Army will need to operate in secondary roles as expeditionary and fast deployment units to reinforce the naval, the aerial, and space strategic operations. The main domains for proper containment of China spans air, maritime, cyber, and space. Therefore, the U.S. national security budget should complement these realities via accepting and promoting emerging technologies to be incorporated into new weapon systems, official retirement of legacy systems, reconstruction of operations for smaller professional and specialized units to secure global supply lines, logistical networks, and regional U.S. allies. The U.S. budget must emphasize greater connectivity, communication, and ISR capabilities that can guarantee American primacy in the battlefield kill chain, undermine the Chinese A2AD networks in its near-seas region, and produce an American active defense mechanism that is multilaterally constructed and coordinated across the Indo-PECON region from India to Australia and New Zealand. It is through comprehensive reassessment of the geopolitical and geoeconomic environments of the Indo-PACOM region that will assist American policy and decision makers in producing a modern defense force that is capable of great power competition against a power that is of encroaching military parity and capabilities among all domains. With that being said, I thank you all for listening to that mouthful but yet informative and important information. And I hope and truly hope that you enjoyed this special episode. And I hope that you will continue to support the geopolitical pivot as we try to become a platform for young practitioners, the ambitious, the passionate, 
the emboldened, and those that take national security and even global security very, very seriously. Much love, much peace. Until next time, see you.